We're going to be in the book of John this morning. The lectionary takes a, a turn. You know, we've been in Mark for like weeks on weeks on weeks. Um, but our lectionary, as I said, during the season of Lent, we're following the lectionary passages. And, and the gospel prescribed for this morning is John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. And so it'll be on the screen here behind me. Or you can listen as the word washes over us. We're going to read a, a somewhat familiar story, but... Pay attention because um, it might not be exactly as you remember it. So here we go. Verse 13, chapter 2, the book of John. And it might be on the screen. Yes. All right. So the Passover of the Jews was near. It It was almost time for the Jewish Passover. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at table exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all the people out of the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews responded to him, what sign can you show to prove you're the authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of God for the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. Heat check. How's your Lenten disciplines going? Everybody doing good? Everybody enjoying your sodas today because it's Sunday and you're allowed to and it's your day of reprieve from like the, the kind of heaviness of Lent. Today is our mini Easter in the midst of Lent. So I hope you've had a, a few Cokes today if that's what you gave up or some chocolate if you like that kind of thing. Um, I, um, you know, I'm never very good at keeping my Lenten disciplines, friends. I'm falling behind. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be honest. I'm all about vulnerability and transparency. You know, I like to let you know, but I have not been batting a thousand. My batting average has dipped just a little bit from my Lent discipline. So keep me accountable, friends. Keep me accountable. Last week, we talked about um, what it means to be a disciple, the cost of discipleship. And I'm very grateful for the affirmation and and your kind words um, that I've heard from so many people about last week's sermon. And I, I enjoyed preaching it and it was challenging. You know, I just, it was, it was what was God laid in my heart. But last week we talked about us as individuals being disciples and the cost of discipleship. This week, this text leads us in the directions of what does it mean to be the church? So last week, we were looking at what does it mean to be a disciple? This week, what does it mean to be the church? And the sermon title this morning, I want to preach from the subject, you can't buy grace. You can't buy grace. So will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. All God's people said, amen. amen, amen. All right, so have you ever wondered how something becomes normal? Like how something that might not have been normal before became normal? I think about this kind of thing a lot, mostly because my friends and my, my family tell me I'm a little just off normal. So I'm always wondering how something became, how, why is something normal that is normal? Because there's a lot of things in life that if you think about them, are actually kind of weird. Things that we consider like, oh yeah, that's just normal part of the day-to-day thing. It's actually, it's actually kind of strange. Like my biggest example for this, I got a few examples, but, but the, one of them is running as an exercise. 
Like, when did this become normal? Because for lots and lots of years, like for much of human civilization, we ran for one purpose, to get away from things. Like, if something was chasing us or trying to harm us, we ran, you know, sort of fight or flight, you know, where that term came from. So we would flee, we would run. Like, that's what running is supposed to be. But you crazy people decided that you're gonna run for fun. And that's, it's terrible. I don't like running. And you might think like, well, oh, you did the Ironman and you, you ran in marathons. Like, I hated every minute of it. I really did. I did it because I love my wife. But I just assume if I'm gonna end up at the place where I started, I might as well never leave. So r- running to me is just strange. But there's so many people, like Carpe, like five o'clock in the morning, all you crazy people are out like running 16 miles. And I'm just like, go back to bed. Sun's not up yet. That's the way the world works. You know what else is strange? Balloons. Have you ever thought about it? Balloons. Like out of somebody's birthday, we're like, hey, here is a um, plastic sack of my hot breath. Here you go. <laughs> That's what a balloon is, basically. Here's a plastic sack of my hot breath. I think um, the idea of tipping is kind of strange, in my opinion. Like, it, it, it's strange for us, but it's, it, for me, but it's normal in America. Not all countries tip. Did you know this? Like, I just assume, like, we just pay somebody a fair wage, build the price of their service into the cost of the meal or whatever maybe service they're rendering. But like, I don't want people to have to feel like you know, they're, they're bribing me to pay them more. Like, I, I feel bad whenever somebody's trying to be nice to me when maybe I don't deserve to be nice. You don't have to be nice to me because I might not be like the best customer or whatever it might be. And so then I'm like, man, are they just being nice to me because they want me to be their friend and give them more money? Because I've always kind of felt my, my parents might have done that for me when I was a kid. Like, you know, paid some kids to be my friend. And so now, and now I'm conscientious of that when I'm, so tipping to me is just kind of strange. Let's just give people what they deserve. Let's just pay everybody the same, whatever it is. Drinking milk. It's kind of weird. Have you ever thought about it? What other mammals drink milk after infancy? And what other mammals drink milk of other mammals? Think about it. It's kind of strange, but I like milk. Oreos and milk, that's my go-to on the daily. Well, not right now because I've been gaining weight, but I love Oreos and milk. Lastly, um, this is one, you know, that, you know, maybe you don't think it's strange and it's not that I don't like it, but like kissing. Have you ever thought about how weird kissing is? Like, I'm not, I'm serious. I I like kissing. Don't get me wrong. But what time in history did one human look at another human and say, hey, your lips look nice. I want to put my lips on your lips. Like, how strange is the concept? Brianna's like turning red over there. She's like, why are you telling me about kissing? I just, I don't know. It's just kind of strange to me. If you think about it, it was totally normal. Like, oh yeah, we fall in love and you, and you might kiss somebody. At, you, kids, you kiss after you're married, by the way. First time you kiss, wedding day. Just let you know. I'm such a hypocrite. That's what you're supposed to do. That might not be what all of us did. There are also some religious things that become really normal for us, right? Like when we say them out loud, they're actually kind of strange, but like, for somebody who's been in the church your whole life, like to come together and just everybody read something off the screen for the Apostles' Creed, you're like, oh yeah, that's normal. When if like, maybe you've never been to church before, you're like, wow, this is a little weird. Everybody's just kind of repeating themselves together. Or like, what if you say, say to your friend who, who you know, maybe doesn't go to church, you're like, hey, you wanna come to my church? And just a heads up, at the end of the service, we're gonna eat some bread, and don't worry, it's gonna sound like we're cannibals because we say this thing about how we're gonna eat this guy's body who died and then came back to life 2,000 years ago, but don't worry, we're really not cannibals. Oh, and before we, di- before we eat the bread, that is the, aka the body of the dead, not dead guy, we're gonna dip it in juice, and it might sound like we're vampires, 
because we're gonna talk about the juice as if it's the blood of the dead, not dead guy and who had died 2,000 years ago but isn't dead anymore. But don't worry, we're, we're not really vampires. And, and what about like when you come to church and you say, or you invite somebody to church and you say, hey, you wanna come to this place where I gather with a bunch of people and we, um, we believe in this being who's like infinity years old and um, created everything. And we believe that this being can like, see us and like but we can't like see this being in the same type of way that you think of seeing or like it's normal seeing and we speak to this being in in a way and we we worship this being we sing to this being but we can't really hear this being the same way like you can hear me right now like and but this being can hear us like if you think about the whole concept of everything we do it's become kind of second nature it's become normal but it's actually it's actually kind of strange whenever you say it out loud and um the one that's maybe the craziest to me of all no one's curious. This is, it's become so second nature to us that it's so normal. It doesn't phase us anymore as individuals or as a church. Is when we're like, hey, friend, you want to come to our church? Come to our church, and we're going to sing all these songs because the words are on the screen. But more often than not, we don't actually believe what we're saying. Or at least we don't actually believe the, do the things that we say we believe. But we sing them because they're on the screen. Man, things went from funny to serious real fast. I, um, I'm just, I just, that struggles. I have that struggle. I just do. That's me, personally. I just, I love worship songs. But there's been a number of times in my life where I'll have sung something because the words are on the screen. I'd be like, do I actually do that? Like, I'm, I'm proclaiming with my tongue something. With my, my lips, I'm saying that I believe this and that I'm doing this. But am I, am I really like we just sang, and I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Are we really putting our trust in God alone? Like we're not putting our trust in money. We're not putting our trust in the government. We're not putting our trust in our own abilities to take care of things ourselves. And we're just going to trust in God that God's gonna lead us to do these things and God's gonna be in control of all these things? Are we really relinquishing all control in our entire lives over to God and believing that God, we can trust in God and everything is a friend? Like, is that real? Like, do we actually do that? Or how about this one? We sang it a few weeks ago and it's one of our favorites. You've called me higher, you've called me deeper and I will go where you will lead me, Lord. Like, really? We're gonna go anywhere God leads us? Like if God were to call you or me to, to sell everything and to move away from friends and family, like we'll go. If that's what God says, we're gonna do it because we sang it in our song that is on the screen. Or God, if you call me to start a new job that makes less money, but it's because it's where you want me to be, like I'm gonna do it, God, because I'll go where you will lead me. Or God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna abandon certain practices that I know are bad for me because I know you're leading me. I'm gonna do it, God. I'm... It's kind of strange that it's become normal for me personally, and I think maybe for many of us, to just sing something because the line's right there on the screen and then not even think about, are we actually doing the things that we're proclaiming with our mouths, with our lives? Are we living out these things we say? I think our scripture lesson this morning is the same concept. It's about a religious institution that has let normal and comfort get in the way of what might be right or best at this time and in place. And uh, we're going to dig into this text from John for a few minutes. We're going to be corporate exegesis together. Exegesis means like script, reading the scripture really deeply together. You see here in the beginning of John's gospel, Jesus is interacting with the main form of the religious institution. 
It's the main ways in which the Israelites know in our relationship with God. It's the temple. And any sacrifice that's performed so that someone can get right with God is done at the temple. The religious leaders and the people of faith who do all their religious work do it at the temple. The temple is pivotal for the life of a Jewish person in the first century. It's the quintessential factor in Jewish life. The temple is everything. And at this story that we see of of Jesus interacting with the temple... Um, we actually see this story in all four accounts of the gospel. There's very few stories that are in all four accounts. There's some, but not all of them are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But all four of them are. However, John's telling of this story is slightly different than the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels because they're so similar. And then John was written later, and it's very, sometimes it has just a different take on things. So for starters, John situates this story at the very beginning of his book, in the second chapter. Whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's almost towards the end. It's what's happened after Jesus has done all this Galilean ministry. He goes to Jerusalem, and then the temple cleansing happens on Palm, like right, you know, it's Palm Sunday, and Jesus comes in. We're going to celebrate that in a couple weeks. But that's when most of the other three gospel writers talk about this story. But for John, it's early in the gospel. It's actually right after he's changed the water into wine. It's technically like Jesus' first public appearance. Because the water in the wine episode was kind of small, you know, it was at a, at a family gathering, it was at a wedding, it was in Galilee, but this is something different. Jesus is basically like, this is his debut on the scene of messianic activity. What's strange um, about this, after Jesus does, um, comes into the, the, the community or comes into the temple, one of the things that John shows us that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't is that Jesus comes in like, and makes a whip like he's Indiana Jones. And you know, he's going around, not only turning over tables and yelling at people, but like, actually has like, this whip that he's like, driving, literally like, like somebody would drive cattle, driving people out of the temple. Can you imagine like, Harrison Ford, Jesus like, showing up just you know, with an Indiana Jones hat, getting people out of there? But once again... I say, he, he does something similar, John does something similar to other gospels in that he quotes the Old Testament. Jesus, in, in all four accounts, quotes the Old Testament. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he quotes Jeremiah. And he says, you've made my house into a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. You've made my house into a den of robbers. And that comes from Jeremiah, but, but John doesn't quote that text. John quotes Zechariah. Whenever he says, take these things out of here, stop making my father's house a marketplace, that comes from Zechariah 14 that says, Every pot in Jerusalem and Judea will be holy to the Lord Almighty, and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day, there will no longer be a merchant in the house of the Lord Almighty. And so for John, Jesus' activity and his message has a slightly different meaning than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. To give a little more context to the story, if you don't know like really what's going on, the temple is where people made sacrifices of animals and where they gave their alms, their offerings. So like when we gave money in the basket earlier, it's kind of like that. Except if you were to go and want to give a sacrifice at a temple, you had to have an unblemished animal. Your animal had to be completely you know, unblemished. And if you're journeying as a pilgrim from far away, that's pretty hard to do, to bring the best of your animals you have and then make the journey and then them not have any blemish on them. And so people would sell animals outside the temple that you could then use as a sacrifice. And also, if you're going to be giving offerings, monetary offerings to God, you had to give offerings that, had, that did not have any graven images on them. 
And the normal money used day to day had the emperor's face on the coins. In the same way, like our bills have our presidents on them and different people on. on. So in theirs, they had a coin that had the emperor's face on it. And you were not allowed to use those coins for offering because that was a graven image. And so that's why when they say they have money changers, somebody, so that would, you literally just exchange your money. You give them a coin with the emperor and they give you back a blank coin of some cost value that you could use then to give your offering. So when Jesus shows up at the temple, all these things are going on. People are selling these unblemished animals. They're exchanging these coins. People are buying and selling. And if you think about it, what they're doing is not inherently wrong. Because that's what they're supposed to do according to the law. They're supposed to use these type of things to make atonement with God. So people needed animals to sacrifice because that's what Jewish law requires. And people needed images, coins without graven images. So in and of itself, it was not wrong for the people to be buying and changing these things. So why then, in all four accounts, does Jesus get so mad, so angry whenever he sees this function of the religious life and starts turning over tables, kicking people out of the temple? The answer to that is a little tricky. It's a little tricky if you look at it from the context of all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke give a different reason than John does. For the other three, it's about the price gouging going on, the corruption that sets Jesus off. When he says, you've turned my house into a den of robbers, he's basically saying, you're jacking up the price on the exchange rates. You're making the price of these animals so much so that the poorest of people can't be made right with God because they can't afford these things. So it was, Jesus was mad about people taking advantage of other people. And so it's something we get mad about ourselves. And it's a good word. But that's not exactly what's going on in John. John sees it a little bit differently. He doesn't necessarily deny that maybe there's corruption going on in the practice, but instead of calling the place a den of robbers, he references Zechariah as a place where there will no longer be merchants in the house of the Lord, and he does this to reinforce one of his main overarching themes. One of the overarching ideas in the Gospel of John is this, that that whole practice is no longer necessary. Not only is it corrupt, that people might be, you know, gouging at the prices, but it's no longer necessary at all. Throughout his whole gospel, John is trying to drive home the fact that the temple is no longer where God dwells, but Jesus's body is the temple. Did you get that from the verses we read? He reinforces for his readers that not, no longer is worship only done in Jerusalem, but wherever the body of Christ is, that's where worship takes place. And so for John, just like us, the body of Christ is where two or more are gathered. The body of Christ is the assembly, the church. So not only is that practice wrong, but it's obsolete. Because listen to what he says back in verse 19. Jesus answered them whenever they asked him, you know, why do you have the authority to do all this? He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. And the Jews said, and by Jews, when John uses that term, he often means religious leaders or the Pharisees and the scribes. Often in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they say Pharisees or scribes. And so they, they say his opposition says to Jesus, this temple has been under construction, really under renovation, because it's older than 46 years. It's under renovation for 46 years, and you're going to raise the whole thing up in three days? They were taking what he said literally. And John is writing in a post-Easter perspective, right? He's already seen the Easter experience. This is not written like the day-to-day thing. This is reflecting on the years of Jesus. And so Jesus himself is not talking about the physical temple, that building. He says, Jesus is not talking about the temple, but Jesus is speaking of, his temple, of the temple as his body. 
And then John provides a little commentary and says, and after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said all this, and then they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is kind of a crazy text, is it not? I told you we're going to dive in a little bit deeper because it's important to recognize there's subtle differences in the ways in which the story is told. We've all maybe heard about Jesus flipping tables and getting angry. And oftentimes we want to be right there with him, right? We're angry too. Whenever somebody takes advantage of somebody else, you, you get angry by that. That makes you mad. It makes me mad. Whenever somebody with power lords it over those without power, that, makes, that really makes me mad too. However, that's not necessarily the message that John is helping communicate this morning or what John is trying to help us see. Later in his gospel, he talks about this interaction Jesus has with a woman at the well, and he says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and now is at hand when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For John, worship is no longer about buying and sacrificing animals or trading coins with someone's face on it. For so many of us, and for so long, we've often thought about grace as transactional. If I do this, then I'll be blessed. If I don't do this, then I'll be punished. And that's often how those, the Israelites understood it too, because that's the language of the Old Testament. But John is helping us remember and realize that the work that God did in Jesus was sufficient. And no longer do we have to go through the temple and bring forth unblemished animals and all these different types of sacrifices and all these different types of changed coins because God did work in Jesus to make it to the point where you cannot buy grace. You don't have to go trade things for atonement. God's grace in and through the person of Jesus on the cross was sufficient for our salvation. And now when we worship We worship where we are together. It might be here on a Sunday morning. It might be in a home at a small group. It might be at the beach in the summertime with our feet in the sand and somebody just was singing hymns and praise songs together. But where two or more are gathered, God is with us. John helps us realize that, that God transcends four walls, that there's no building that's gonna hold God in there that we have to go to that, but that God meets us where we are. I admit, I have a hard time reading this text and not thinking about all the, the need I, I have or want to do to go flip tables. Like that's, I wanna go flip tables about you know, people who are being persecuted. And I wanna go flip the tables of people who become normal and commonplace for them to do things that are so wrong. And, and that's just how I wanna read, how I want to read it. But I think something we need to do this morning is to ask ourselves, as Dauphin Way United Methodist Church, as the church gathered together here, what are the tables in our own lives as a church that need to be flipped? Jesus was, was flipping tables because they were doing things that might not necessarily be wrong, the practice themselves, the, the corruption was wrong, yes, but, but that practice came from somewhere. But Jesus said, you no longer have to do that. Are there things that, we as a church do that are keeping us from experiencing all that God has for us? Do we as Dauphin Way need to have some tables flipped? Are we as a church like those outside the temple or even the temple itself? Do we appear to be fulfilling a function but have forgotten 
our purpose. I don't, I'm not saying we have, especially not in town. I think we do great work in the community. I love everything about Dauphin Way. But I think as a church, it's always important to be reflecting on our own activity and say, are we doing this just to do it? Whatever this thing might be. Are we doing this just to do it? Or is this the thing that is connecting us with God? So last week we talked about, you know, individually as a disciple, as a Christian, the cost of discipleship, how are we suffering? But today I ask us to look inwardly as a church and think, what are the things that we are doing and are we being the best church of Jesus Christ we can be? When people come to Dauphin Way, do they walk in and they're like, man, that place, they are loving. They are welcoming. They are obviously living out their purpose. Or do we have a building full of turtle doves and money changers? Doing things because they're what has always been done or because what we're supposed to do, because this is what the church has done for 100 years, 200 years, this is because this is normal. I hope you'll pray about that with me. I hope you'll take seriously this season of Lent as we reflect on ourselves as individuals and then on our community as a church. And Robbins is starting that vision team in a couple of weeks and, and those people will be getting together and thinking about these things. But I want you to be in prayer, not only for that team, but for our church to say, how are we best living out our calling? How are we being the church in the world? Are we doing things just because they're normal and they're comfortable and not even thinking about, man, that's kind of strange. Is that what we need to be doing? Is that how we need to be living? I pray for that as you as an individual, but today in particular, I pray for that of us as a church. Are we selling doves and changing money? Are we help proclaiming this news that God is with us now and always, no matter where we are? Where two or more are gathered in God's name, there the Holy Spirit is. I know that's true about us here on Sunday morning. I always feel that I know that, that God is here with us. I just always pray that we can be the best church that God wants us to be. That we don't let our own habits and routines hang us up from being who God is calling us to be in each and every season. So we pray about that with me as a community. Let's pray for that together throughout this week and throughout this season of Lent. Let's pray about that right now. God, we ask that as a church, you convict us. You compel us. You move us. Do not let us live in a land of comfort for comfort's sake. Do not let us be the people that we just want to be, but let us be the people that you are calling us to be, even when there's disequilibrium, discomfort. Stir in us the motivation to move forward into the season and the life that you are calling us into as a church. Help us to act boldly and not out of scarcity, not out of fear, but as a church, help us to make decisions and actions that are fulfilling who you are calling us to be so that we can make your kingdom known here in Mobile, in Alabama, in our country, and all around the world, making your kingdom known on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. amen. amen.